Welcome to the 4 Eyes Show. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking the end of the NBA season, the surprising end to the Drake versus Pusha T saga, a few cool things from E3, uh, and whatever other stuff I can Google while I'm sitting here. But first, Lupe. <laughs> One five, who's more crooked than one time? Say one five, who's more crooked than one time? Yeah, yeah, check, is my mic on? As a twilight zone? Yeah, come on. My mind state rewinds, wakes, and fast forwards, bullets making a beeline for my fake. My mind state, my mind state. So uh, last night marked the official end of the NBA season, um, and things ended, I would say, <laughs> about the way everybody thought it would with the Golden State Warriors as the 2017-2018 NBA champions uh, defending their title over the Cleveland Cavaliers in what will probably be the end of Golden State versus Cleveland unless some miraculous shit happens next season. Um, KD won finals MVP. Which I think shocked a lot of people. Uh, it was a clean sweep, obviously. Um, I've seen some people kind of talking about what this could potentially mean uh, for LeBron's legacy. Um, I, I I don't think it means much. Nobody expected him to win. He only had something to gain by winning um, in this series. So I, I don't think it means much for LeBron's legacy. The person whose legacy it helps is KD's. Uh, back-to-back finals MVPs, he's got a regular season MVP, he's got a scoring title, he's got an all-star MVP, uh, he joins a group of like, I think it was like six dudes that have done that, uh, Braun, MJ, Wilt, uh, yeah, those are, those are kind of the important ones, Shaq, Shaq is another one that did, uh, yeah, I think this helps KD's legacy and it, it, kind of verifies that he made the right decision. I think we all knew he made the right decision. You just have some people out there, uh, namely Bronstens, or as uh, Twitter christened them last night, the 3-6 Mafia. Um, they're probably the, the ones who have a real issue with it because it came at the expense of their boy. Um, but, yeah, KD, man, he, he played his ass off, had a triple-double to, to seal the game. Uh, Steph was, was, you could tell, was kind of trying to get the finals MVP. He had 37 points last night, but it just seems that the voters held game three against him where he only scored 11 points and KD scored 43 and was the reason they won. You know, Steph had his worst shooting night, uh, definitely his worst finals game, and they won. And so uh, Rachel Nichols, who had said that, you know, that is what was held against him, was that KD won. So it's kind of hard to say, uh, you know, you're the finals MVP when you had your worst game and your teammate had his best game uh, and you guys still won in a clean sweep. So <laughs> you could tell after the interview, Steph was kind I mean, after uh, during the interview, after the presentation, you could tell Steph was a little bit deflated. Uh, he said all the right things in all of his interviews, but you could kind of tell he was a little deflated. You could tell the team wanted him to get that. Uh, he probably should have got it in 2015 instead of went to Iggy because that's when the tie turn was when Iggy was inserted into the starting lineup. But, yeah, it, it I don't say it hurts, but, yeah, you've got three you got three NBA championships. You're the most important player on the team. You've got two regular season MVPs but no finals MVP. So, um, in a strange twist, 
I think that probably is going to be the thing that carries Golden State next season because you could kind of tell they were a little fatigued. You could tell the team was like, yeah, we'll flip it on, we flip it on. And usually that goes on to hurt teams. Uh, San Antonio intermittently, L.A. in the early 2000s. Bronze had a rotating cast of characters, so it hasn't really hurt him as much. But usually when teams experience this level of success, it's hard to sustain it. Three titles in four years. Uh, it's crazy. Um, so I, I think Steph not getting finals MVP after having his best finals statistically. Uh, well, no, nah, last season was his best finals, but KD uh, hit the big shot and hit the big shots. Um, so he got it. I think that is going to be the thing that the fire that burns Steph. I think he's going to be out for blood next season because he's probably feeling a little underappreciated, and I'm not mad at him. Um, on the flip side of things, uh, LeBron's probably leaving Cleveland. I don't see any way that he stays in Cleveland, like none whatsoever. How, how are you going to <laughs> stay there? Uh, I mean, maybe they can flip some some assets, but the, the, the cap situation over there is crap. Uh, so I would not be shocked if there was a full rebuild in Cleveland next season, and, that, and they should. Uh, the, the Obviously, the looming offseason question is where is LeBron James going? The Lakers have the cap space, but probably not the best prospects for him to win a title. Uh, if he goes there, it's probably simply to learn from Magic Johnson and achieve his goal of being basketball's first billionaire, although I think MJ is there now. Um, and learn to be a mogul and hopefully own a franchise one day. So, <sighs> People have said Houston. I don't see a way for him to get to Houston with Chris Paul reportedly saying that he will not accept anything but a max deal which means that he probably has some dirt on Houston who probably gave him a wink-wink, opt-in, come here, we'll give you the max deal. And since he is uh, the president of the Players Association, they probably are going to have to pay him that max deal, uh, which doesn't leave a lot of cap space unless LeBron opts in and they trade some of their bad contracts to Cleveland for him. But I can't see Cleveland doing that if they're wanting to go full rebuild unless those contracts are expiring. And I don't think any of those contracts are expiring, uh, at least not the one that they would have to get rid of with Ryan Anderson. Uh, a lot of people have said Philly. Uh, there has been reports that LeBron would opt in to be traded to Philly. Um, and there were some reports earlier that David Griffin is being eyed for the GM role at Philly. Griffin was LeBron's GM his second stint in Cleveland. So that could potentially be a possibility. I'm just wondering from a basketball standpoint why Philly would want to do that. I mean, yeah, it's LeBron, but... Him and Ben Simmons are the same player with LeBron being able to shoot now, but he's still not the knockdown shooter that you want. And LeBron typically thrives in an environment where he has four shooters around him. So you pretty much would be having to turn Embiid into a spot-up stretch five, a glorified Kevin Love, sacrifice a lot of his game and what's made him great. Or... LeBron and Simmons would just have to not be playing a lot together. And I don't know, again, why you would do that. So, I mean, maybe Philly's hungry and they feel like that's their best chance to beat Boston. But I don't know why you would sacrifice your pieces and picks in order to like I would go harder at Paul George than I would LeBron, because at least Paul George can be a complimentary piece to what you have there. LeBron comes with a lot of melodrama. He comes with a lot of wanting to do things his way. And when you've got two young stars on the come up, I don't know that you want to upset that what they could naturally become by bringing in 
a guy who's a bit of a diva and wants things done his way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting offseason. Uh, some people are saying he might stay in Cleveland. I just don't know. You're not getting rid of Tristan and JR's contract, so there's not much else that you can do to uh, bring in help. I mean, maybe you can trade Kevin Love for somebody, but I don't know that you're going to get any any real valuable pieces for Kevin Love. Maybe a three-way deal for a, t- a team that's on the brink and hungry for a star. I, I just don't see a way for LeBron to stay in Cleveland and still compete. And and there might there might be a way. I, I just, People smarter than me will have to figure that out. Um, so this is going to be an interesting offseason. Obviously, everything's going to hinge on where LeBron goes. Some people have said San Antonio is a dark horse. Um, LeBron wants to play with Kawhi. He, <laughs> he has uh, kind of shown that he admires and a little bit fears Kawhi. So him not having to play uh, against Kawhi, playing with him, in addition to having probably the best coach in the business, maybe the best coach of the last uh, 20 years, uh, Greg Popovich, um, that definitely would, would be a boon to LeBron's legacy because when you look at it, the best coach that he's played for uh, is is Mike Will. Oh, shit, don't, don't let me get this name. <laughs> don't, don't let me get this name wrong. Um, is it Mike Williams? It's not Mike Woodson. Mike Brown, Mike Brown, Mike Brown, Mike Brown. I'm sorry, I should know that. Um, best coach he's played for is Mike Brown so far. So, uh, but the question is, can LeBron go to a team and play with a great coach? Because the reason, well, no, no, I'd say Spolster is LeBron's best coach. But part of the, the issue with LeBron is LeBron wants to do things his way. He wants stretch bigs. He wants shooters around him, and he wants to be able to run the offense. That, to me, is part of the reason why when people say, man, when LeBron leaves, teams just aren't the same because the teams are constructed to fit around LeBron and nobody else. That's the reason LeBron has to play 48 minutes. That's the reason he has to lead the league in minutes because no one can operate that team but him. And maybe that, maybe... If the team's constructed the way he wants in Philly, maybe that's a way for him and Ben Simmons to coexist because Ben Simmons will probably be the only other guy that will be able to run LeBron's offense outside of LeBron. So this is definitely going to be an NBA off, uh, an interesting NBA offseason um, around the draft and, and when free agency deals start getting done. I'm going to have a, a, a friend of mine on uh, who, who knows his NBA shit. He's going to come on and we're going to do uh, an NBA offseason show and uh, probably do a preseason show as well. Uh, because that's really the only sport I pay attention to these days. Um, Stanley Cup Finals, uh, the Capitals won. So, uh, salute to them. Congrats to the Las Vegas Knights uh, expansion franchise that made it to the Stanley Cup Final and won a game. Uh, but Alex Ovechkin finally gets his trophy. Salute to him. Uh, it's going to be a dry <laughs> sports period. I like baseball, but not enough to really watch it. Um, so the next, what? Two months, two and a half months, almost three months uh, till college football gets to kicking off. Ah, man, it's going to be dry, man. Nothing but baseball and tennis talk and speculation about uh, where LeBron's going, which. Again, that's that's going to be the, the linchpin for everything, uh, unless 
you might have something happen to where Paul George is like, hey, I know I said I was going to L.A., but let me go see what them boys got going to Philly. And maybe he goes there as a free agent. And maybe that, like, eliminates where LeBron can go. And maybe he's like, all right, screw it. I'll go to San I'll opt in and go to San Antonio. I'll opt in and go to Houston. Uh, but I think where he goes is going to determine what he's trying to do in this league. Um, and really his place in history because LeBron is the most – legacy conscious superstar I've ever seen he is he knows where he's at there was a game uh there was a game in uh last season's finals where LeBron had like 18 points going into the final three minutes of the game and it was garbage time and he like goes in and scores like six or six or eight points something like that and gets his number up to that magic 27 number which is like his career average I think um he always knows what his score is. He he always knows where his place in history is. And I think he knows with this latest loss that his chance of really being seen as the greatest of all time is probably done. Um, you've had uh, some big losses in the finals. And, and, you know, being swept twice. And, you know, it's like, hey, you made it. But you, you don't win. You couldn't even get one. And he, and a lot of people feel like he gave up last night. Like he just kind of surrendered, um, which isn't a good look. And that's probably the one thing about LeBron is he, he pouts. He's, he's a diva. Um, so whatever move he makes, I think is going to tell you what it is he's trying to do. If he goes to LA, I think that's all right. Let me up my business savvy under magic. Let me break some records and let me just coast out my career and break every single record imaginable and become the only player with 40,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, 10,000 assists, 5,000 blocks, and 5,000 steals. Whatever absurd shit he's gunning for. You know, finishes the all-time leading scorer and, and finish up there at his position, number one in everything. Uh, so that, that to me, is going to be the testament. I think if he goes to Houston, that's strictly a, I'm trying to win another title. L.A. is business and stat padding. Philly is, let me see if I can win another title. But, man, Philly's just going to have to give up a lot to bring in LeBron. You've got to give up J.J. Redick. You're probably going to have to give up Robert Covington. You're going to have to make some trades. Probably going to have to give up Markel Fultz. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't really, I'm confused as to why they would want to do it with LeBron James, who is 34 years old or will be 34 years old. And at some point, that body's going to give. It just is, man. We've The law of averages states that he's going to get injured at some point. It hasn't been in the last 15 seasons. Do you really want to be the team that gets him and then his body just goes to shit? Because, man, the miles that he's put on his body, the first time that he goes down, he's probably staying down. And you don't want to be the team that's paying him $30, $40 million a year, and he's just on the bench. Can't do anything with a with a team built around him that only he's capable of running. Uh, <laughs> I think that's part of the reason Kyrie left. Kyrie was like, look, man, I, I can go out and score, have three straight 30-point game in the finals, hit the, hit the shot that wins us the NBA title, and people will still blame me whenever you lose. And still give you the praise and say that no one can run this team but you. Even though this team isn't built for me to run. It's built for you to run with me to get buckets when these guys can't shoot. Um, and speaking of Kyrie, now there's reports coming that he might bolt for Boston in the offseason to go 
to the Knicks. And if you know anything about Danny Ainge, it's probably someone in Danny Ainge is probably leaking that. Uh, I, I think if you're Boston, you're fine either way. I mean, if Kyrie does leave, you've still got a budding superstar in Jason Tatum. you still got Jalen Brown. you still got Gordon Hayward signed for the long haul. Uh, you can find a point guard that Terry Rozier showed he was a serviceable point guard. you still got Marcus Smart. I, I, I don't think there's any reason why you should be worried about Kyrie Irving leaving. And if he doesn't, he decides to want to go to the Knicks, it's on him. I would want to stay in Boston in that situation. But maybe he's looking at Tatum going, oh, shit, this is LeBron all over again. And I'm the oft-injured point guard who, you know, maybe it was an ego bruise to see them get take Le- your old team to seven games without you and both teams without you competing to make it to the NBA Finals and you're not on the court. So maybe he's like, all right, you know what, fuck this shit. I'm going, I'm going to New York now. Let me go save that shitty franchise. So a lot, a lot of intrigue, a lot is coming up. Um, I can tell you one thing, my team, the Charlotte Hornets are going to be in cap hell. (laughs) So we'll probably still be trash if it's the playoffs next year. Hopefully, uh, now that we actually have a competent GM and not some yes man, just answering, uh, to MJ, uh, maybe we can finally get some decent personnel moves and, you know, actually make the playoffs or something. So, uh, it's pretty much been a topic every single episode that we've had so far. But uh, we just witnessed the, what we expect to be the end of the Pusha T and Drake beef. It came to a rather unceremonious and abrupt end. Probably the most unceremonious and abrupt end in hip-hop beef history. Uh, This past week. It was reported, now mind you, I'm recording this on Saturday, it'll be dropping Monday, so it'll be a week will have gone by since all of this has happened, but Jay Prince, founder of Rap-A-Lot Records, has been making his rounds to out various uh, hip-hop media outlets, The Breakfast Club, Desus and Miro, uh, joined Sway at TRL, and has basically announced the beef is over with. He made no G-call, got on the phone with Kanye West. And they decided that this beef was going to be squashed. Among other things, it was reported, uh, Jay Prince has stated that uh, Drake was sitting on a diss record that would have ended Kanye West and Pusha T's career. And Jay Prince decided that, hey, we shouldn't drop this because we don't need this to escalate any further. Lines have been crossed. You cross the line, push across the line. Now you're about to cross another line. And the line after that is probably violence. And we don't want that. So we're going to go ahead and squash this thing right here. Now, whether or not you believe that Drake is sitting on a diss that could end Kanye West's uh, career, um, I would not, for one, uh, be against that <laughs> uh, at this point in that asshole's career. But um, if you're wondering... You can speculate as to whether it exists, what's in it, but no one's going to question Jay Prince. And if you're one of those people who isn't aware of who Jay Prince is, as I stated before, founder of Rap-A-Lot Records, very well-respected businessman among hip-hop. And when he says things, people tend to listen to him. You can Google why that is, 
But all I will say is he's a respected businessman, and when he talks, people tend to listen to him. Um, <laughs> if you're wondering what Drake's connection to Jay Prince is, well, Drake was discovered in part by Jazz Prince, one of Jay Prince's sons. And which means Jay Prince has a vested interest in the survival and marketability of Drake. So when blackface picks start dropping and deadbeat dad comments start coming up, you can rest assured that someone who is in, as invested in Drake's survival as the princes are, uh, calls are going to be made. And in this instance, the call was made that no more records would be put out. So no more records are being put out. Uh, I would have liked to have hear, heard a response to Drake, but someone like Jay Prince is involved. Best for all parties to just uh, walk away. So, yeah. Um, the Button Podcast touched on this. Who backs you is an important thing in hip-hop. I, I won't rehash that topic. You can go listen to their podcast and hear it. But in this instance, Drake's got somebody backing him. Uh, who can make calls and get shit done. And that can be an important thing. As far as I'm concerned, Pusha T won, won the battle. He's been killing Drake for years, and he sent the haymaker. Uh, when you've got a man putting out <laughs> media statements in the middle of battles, um, and calls are being made to, hey, you got your OG calling to say, hey, we squashing this? Uh, push one this round um and i don't think you you will see any more rounds you'll probably get some subs here and there from both parties but i don't think this is gonna escalate back up this isn't gonna bubble back up to a full-on disc record um again to a full-on battle again because uh push has said he's got more and drake apparently was sitting on something that would have ruined kanye like i said you can speculate as to what that is but uh it was something that if it was the case Kanye was more than willing to come to the table and say yeah we're good we ain't we ain't doing shit else on our end so yeah um that was uh it was interesting um I'm glad we got some full-on beef I'm glad uh Push was able to send a shot at Drake um it, it really was uh <laughs> it was entertaining for the couple weeks that it lasted um speaking of uh cash money Wayne has secured his release from Cash Money Records along with $10 million. Uh, so he is effectively a free agent. He will be putting out the Carter, the Carter Five on Universal. Um, I'm not sure anybody wants to hear that. <laughs> I certainly don't. But I'm happy for him and happy for his fan base that he will be allowed to release music again. Um, very obvious that he was being taken advantage of under his uh, contract structure. And it, it just goes to show, man, everyone who who baby screwed everybody, everybody. Jay Prince and Baby have a beef about some money that's owed to Jazz Prince and some money that's owed to Drake and some money that's owed to Young Money. Baby screws everybody. Uh, in this instance, Wayne, I think, was looking for about 50 mil but settled for 10. And I don't blame him for that because he's languished, langer, languished I'm sorry, in the last four or five years of his career. I don't want to hear any Lil Wayne music today, but he should still be allowed to go out and make money doing what it is that he loves. And if he still has a fan base that supports him, he should be allowed to put out music and make money uh, off of that. So I would not be surprised if he and Rock Nation come to an agreement as far as management. He's been shouting that is where he wants to go uh, on every stage. So 
given him and Jay-Z's somewhat tumultuous but productive relationship, I would not be surprised if, uh, you know, Jay-Z reaches out and signs him to that growing label. They have a lot of elder statesmen in hip-hop over there, um, so I would not be surprised. And Rock Nation seems to know how to handle those artists and get them into lucrative deals. So given the state of what was reported about Wayne's finances lately, I would not be surprised if he went over there and we started seeing him in some lucrative deals. Um, it may sound like I'm a Wayne hater. I'm not. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Wayne when he was really rapping. Like the squad up mixtape days up and through Carter too. that Wayne to me is one of the illest rappers on the planet. Uh, since then, you know, the music hasn't been for me, but people like it. And he inspired a whole lot of, uh, of rappers as of late. Um, I know we said, I know I said at the beginning of this that we were going to get into, uh, some E3 news. Um, but I just remembered a story that, uh, me and Ronnie were talking about, and I'm probably going to drop this on the kids wear crowns sometime this week. Uh, so Chance the Rapper's Meteoric Rise in 2016. Now, if you're listening to this, you're probably on the internet and you're probably, you've probably been aware of who Chance the Rapper is. I was aware of who Chance the Rapper is. But prior to his work on The Life of Pablo, where he is credited for writing, I think, like five or six songs on there, helping write and produce about five or six songs on there. And if you listen to Coloring Book and The Life of Pablo, you can hear Chance's influence on that record. It's what Kanye does. He goes and gets an artist and uses their sound for his album. Uh, Rhyme Fest and Consequence for his first two or three albums, then Big Sean and Cuddy uh, on the next couple albums, then Pusha T and Psy High on a couple albums, and then Tra uh, Travis Scott on Yeezus, and then uh, Chance on Life of Pablo. So it's what it's what Kanye does. Um, <clears throat> so... Chance did acid rap in, I want to say, 2013. 2013, he dropped that. And he was a, a big-name artist. He was about on the level of Childish Gambino musically around that time. Uh, did the Kids These Days. Maybe it wasn't Kids These Days. No, Social Experiment. Kids These Days was, was Vic Mensa. But did a Social Experiment with Donnie Trumpet. But as far as mainstream success went, he kind of wasn't there. And then he does that ultra light beam verse, drops coloring book, and suddenly Chance the Rapper is on the same level as Drake, J. Cole, and Kendrick. And it happened out of nowhere. And me being a student of the game and music, I kind of looked and I was like, something's weird about this because he came out of nowhere. A Kanye feature isn't putting you there in 2016. The Grammys aren't changing their rules for you off a mediocre free project in 2016. So I wrote this article and I got in an argument with a few Chance uh, fans about it. Uh, Ronnie didn't believe me at first. Uh, Chuck didn't believe me at first. It was a few people who were like, eh, I'm not really. But I, I kind of saw what was behind this, what was going on. I'm like, there's something there that isn't connecting. You don't go from where he was, where no one in the mainstream was checking for him to be in everywhere. National ad campaigns with Kit Kat. Uh, he was everywhere. And, and it just seemed weird to me. And so, you know, in just kind of looking at things, you know, the it comes out, the deal with Apple. And a few other things. I mean, you know, Chance is signed to one of the biggest agencies. Like, his, his business manager works with one of the biggest agencies. Like, I think they represent the likes of George Clooney. 
So he's got real muscle behind him. Obviously, his dad helped on the Obama campaign. So Chance is very connected, even for a rapper. But even still, it didn't make sense that he was getting all of that push from that. And so it comes out that he had a, an exclusive deal with Apple for about half a billion, a half a million dollars to stream Coloring Book exclusively for two weeks. So you start looking at that and you see that Apple has Jimmy Iovine and at the time Dr. Dre over there and they were doing exclusives with the likes of Frank Ocean and Drake and it just seemed like, okay, Apple is looking like they're trying to be a label and news started coming out that Apple was apparently uh, (laughs) looking to scrap iTunes and only focus on Apple Music and then they're doing these exclusive deals with artists and it's like okay this doesn't look good for the ownership of music from a fan standpoint right so you know I kind of postulated this theory that maybe Apple is trying to like own music and the other streaming companies are going to follow suit because you see Tidal was doing the same thing uh, and maybe Jay-Z kind of knew what was going on he's like okay if y'all going to do this I'm going to do this and we going to at least own it So, you know, when Jay-Z mentions it on 404, respect Jimmy Iovine, you know, but, you know, we we trying to own to our music is ours. So, I say all that to say reports have been coming out that Apple is getting into the publishing business. Spotify is reportedly signing artists, but telling these artists to tell people they're not signed. They're signing them to advance deals. And some people might wonder, well, it's it's the same shit the record labels been doing, but it's it's worse than what record labels were doing because record labels signed you to a recording contract. But their goal was to distribute the music everywhere. They wanted it on all the stores, on all the streaming services. Record companies wanted the music to be everywhere. So they could be heard by everyone so that they can make the most money. Streaming companies are only going to want the music to be on their platform. And when you look at Apple and now what Google is doing with their, with their YouTube Red, upping that, uh, getting ready to replace Google Music, all of these streaming companies and places that normally would distribute music are now trying to put the music behind a paywall to where it can't be downloaded, it can't be owned. It will only be owned by this entity that you will have to pay to have access to it, to rent it. And that's a scary thing if you're a fan of music. Like, that's a real scary thing if you're a fan of music. And so to, so to double this back to Chance, people ask me, well, why would, why would they need Chance? Chance has one of the best teams around him in music. And I said, that's why. You're going to create an antivirus, you need the virus. If you need to know what you can do to go tap young artists who don't have the the team and the opportunities that Chance had, you're going to look at the perfect team for an quote-unquote independent artist, which is what Chance was. You're going to go look and see, oh, so we need this, this, and this. So that's why you see these streaming companies now reaching out to former record executives, people who know publishing, uh, people in the agency business, influencers. They're putting it to where, hey, we can put this team and we can get this music out there. So this is a, it's, it's a war for content it's a war for content because clicks equals dollars and in the case of these streaming companies the subscribers are equaling money and when you look at you people thought they were getting jerked by record labels man these streaming companies don't pay you a thing just look at the way the sales are credited it takes 
let me let me let me make sure I'm looking I'm looking up this right to how uh to how streams are calculated. Um so one album sale equals ten song downloads or fifteen hundred song streams or ten songs being streamed hundred and fifty times each for one album sale unit. And that's not to even talk about the algorithms that they use to pay the actual artists and the writers. And now we found out that uh, these streaming companies only have contracts with the record company and not through publishing. So the writers aren't being paid properly through their public streaming is there's a lot of loopholes being used right now. That's why you see Chris Brown putting out a 45 song album. Because now he's put out three times Four and a half times what it what what counts towards an album, right? So if ten songs counts towards an album, he's now made it to where he only has to do one fourth of the work by putting all of those songs out to get those album sales credited to him. Which is why it was so curious that Good Music's doing all these seven song releases because they're shorting themselves three albums, right? So now they have to do thirty percent more of the work. Their albums have to work 30% more to get the same equivalent as someone who's putting out a 10-song album. Or for people who put out 15-song album, their album has to work twice as hard to get the same equivalent units. So streaming is is headed towards a scary place. It, it's, it's really the wild, wild west out here. And like I said, I'll post the article. Because I kind of saw it coming, you know, um, people were accusing Chance of being a plant. And I said, I don't think he's a plant. I think he's the Manchurian candidate. I think he's being used and doesn't realize it because he's being championed as this independent artist. The whole time there's this big ass machine behind him pushing, pushing, pushing. Yeah, you see what we did for Chance. You see what we did for Frank Ocean. You see what we did for Drake. Like in Frank Ocean's case, uh, there was this mysterious benefactor that gave him the money to buy out his Def Jam contract. And then he bought that contract out, bought the songs back that he needed for Blonde and put out Endless on Def Jam. And then 48 hours later, put out Blonde, which undercut Def Jam's album sales to the point where Universal said, nope, no more of our artists are allowed to have exclusive streaming deals this point forward. Because the record companies see what's going on. They see that these streaming services are undercutting them. And I've never thought I would be on the side of the record label, but we're about to enter into an era where you won't be able to really listen to music. Like, I have streaming. I use Tidal. And I stream just to see what albums I want to buy. You know, I I have a couple of playlists on there that I listen to at work, but I have an entire music library that I listen to. And that is what, like, I pride myself on my music library. I've got so many exclusive versions of songs and so many playlists and so many albums and, like, so my, my music library is on iTunes, but it uploads that iTunes library to Google Play. And like when YouTube, when Google was trying to merge their services, they were like, yeah, we're getting rid of Google Play. So it was like I immediately downloaded my entire library because they said they were doing away with Google Play and I didn't want to lose that. And it's like since since music has largely gone digital, people don't buy albums anymore so there's no real ownership of music like even me i only physically own albums because I, I i buy vinyls of new albums that i that i like 
And I don't know, just as a as a former musician, as someone who loves music, man, the the state of music is crazy right now. And like you can see where once music starts doing it, everywhere else is gonna follow suit. Movies are gonna follow suit. You've got services like Netflix who are bypassing Hollywood and going to creators and saying, Hey, give us your movie and it'll only be put here. Like you're you're getting into an era where people won't own content anymore, only companies will and we'll have to pay for access to it. And some people are with that, some are not. I just personally think it's a scary thing. Um so like I said, that article will be going up. Uh make sure you log on to the kidswearcrowns.com and subscribe. Uh, you'll see that go up at some point this week. Um, it'll have an editor's note because I, I initially wrote this article uh, about 18 months ago. I wrote it end of 2016, start of 2017. So it's been almost a year and a half since I wrote this article and a lot of the stuff I said in there is coming to fruition. I just initially didn't put it out because it was like, eh, I don't really have any proof right now, but you know, that more so... It for me is like, hey, start trusting your own instincts because you know a year and a half ago, I kind of called what's coming. So, man, uh, <laughs> creators have finally gotten the freedom to like put out stuff without needing the big boys behind us, and people's laziness when it comes to consuming music with streaming has probably just doomed a lot of creators. So it, it's it's funny how that goes, and you know, Bill Gates is somewhere kicking himself. Because he thought of this whole idea with Zoom <laughs> like 15 years ago. And everybody laughed at him and was like, man, get the fuck out of here. People want to own music. Because at the time we didn't. There were still more physical copies. There were still CDs. You know, and there was a lot more piracy. Uh, but there was a real effort to get music. Like I, I posted an article about how streaming is killing music. Like a lot of my favorite albums turned 15 or are turning 15 this year or next year. And that was when I was 15, 16 years old. Uh, and I was like the summer, the year that my brother got his driver's license. So, you know, we had some freedom and, you know, my mom gave him her old car and, you know, we're out, we were just out here living. And, uh, but even when we weren't buying music, there was effort in obtaining the music. So since we went through that effort, going through LimeWire, Kaza, whatever it was we were listening to at the time, we went through real effort to get that music. So because of that, we made sure that we listened to that music and we made memories to that music. But people aren't doing that anymore. Album drops and a week later is forgotten about because we're on to the next thing. So we have all this music in our faces. So people aren't taking the time to make the memories the music anymore. So it's slowly killing off good music. That's why hip hop has become basically a subgenre of pop music. You know, here today, gone tomorrow. It's fly by night stuff. It's microwave music. This is the microwave generation. Uh, thankfully, with podcasts, I got the opportunity to put stuff out each week. <laughs> it's really, honestly, one of the main reasons why I stopped uh, messing with music. Um, but yeah, be on the lookout for that, man. Make sure you subscribe on the kidswearcrowns.com. Check out the KWC Podcast Network. Don't call it a podcast. The committee, the barbershop. We bring in love back. Uh, and of course, uh, the four-eye show. 
Uh, make sure you subscribe to the website. Make sure you check us out on Google Play and iTunes as well as SoundCloud. Uh, make sure you subscribe to everything you, we do. You can follow me on Twitter at 4 underscore eyes. That's the Roman numeral 4. Follow the blog at the KWC blog. Shoutouts to everyone affiliated with the blog. We will see y'all this time next week unless I decide to drop an episode in the middle of the week with a special guest. Who knows? Till then, enjoy the Joey. Yo. Yo, 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 stuck in the eight-day struggle, only mine's is hourly, jungle full of wolves with a few lines that's cowardly, used to make it hot, even that was too mad for me, school of hard knocks, tried to make the teacher proud of me, sue me, scripted out of a movie, too late, won't get kicked and pushed like Lupe, from group A's to housewives, from scams to skirmish, from saying the loco, from hustler to hermit, you let niggas plot and believe me, they gon' try, my nigga been shot nine times and won't die, and so death threats become death threats, when they want you on your deathbed, and you ain't been put to rest yet, you and I see you, see the gumming in your care, damn, can't wait till I see dude, hate hospitals, I don't wanna go see dude, No, I love you to death, I feel it's no need to, and my mind is bloody courtways and project windows, dice games, thick clouds of project endo, niggas creeping off with the project info, or plain clothes searching for some project info, projects I resemble, so I don't stand out looking clean cut, hanging around the project kinfolk, cutthroats and liars, connects and suppliers, fiends and they buyers, liquor store right by us, kicks over the wire, if you Dave Blaine start choking in the water, send in the divers, show dudes the real definition of survivor, in my mind, I'm butt naked walking through the fire. Oxymoron, stubborn as brick, y'all. I'm a five star suite with the view of a brick wall. A high class scumbag, conceited nobody. Popular stranger, I see shit like nobody. A Tarantino, Martin Scorsese. Coming up, I was that nigga they call crazy. In my hood, they like, fuck them all, gotta pay me. And get shot in the ass for thinking it's all gravy. <laughs> I'm on my third CI now, and my bitch running around like she a PI now. Going through his phone book and his Levi's now with two choices. Chillax or leave right now, it's how it be right now. Ain't your ordinary rapper do, minister society, a nigga with an attitude. A soul of mischief, I know all about that. Poor righteous teacher, nah, more like an outcast. And I'm out with that. It's the word of the day. Jersey. Jump off, let my shit ride out. Don't turn me off, dog. My jazz shit play. That's the word of the day, man.